Hi, I'm Scott. I'm one of the elders here at Southridge Church, and Jeff has asked me to speak today, and we're continuing our series on halftime, and since we're basically at the half of the year, and as you know, 2020 has been quite an interesting year, to say the least. It kind of seems like it's been five years, not six months, but that's kind of how this year has gone. Um, one of the things I was thinking about in preparation for my sermon here this week is just if you could pick three books or movies to depict what 2020 has looked like so far, what would it be? And the three that I came up with, and you probably will have a different one, is first is Contagion, obviously because of COVID and everything that's happened. The second is Groundhog Day, since it seems like there's certain days where I just wake up and repeat the same process over and over again. And I don't remember many times uh, pre-COVID, where I forgot what day it was, just getting up and doing the same thing. And the third would be the book 1984, which for those of you that haven't read 1984, I highly recommend it. Um, with everything that's going on right now, it's a really good read. But those are the three that I would kind of describe where we are with 2020 so far. But we are in the half, the halftime or the middle part of the movie of the, of the year. And for those of you that don't know, I'm a big football fan. I love sports. I love watching sports. So I've kind of missed not having live sports on TV. But halftime is where they always talk about halftime adjustments. And that's what we're really talking about today with this sermon series. In fact, is what things are we doing well that we maybe could improve upon? What things didn't go so well in the first half that we want to try and improve on in the second part? And just however can we just overall improve better so we can finish the second half of the year stronger? And that's really what we're talking about. The specific topic I'm talking about today is the concept of prayer. And it's one that kind of um, a lot of us probably aren't like sitting there saying like, I, my prayer life, I'm just killing it. Like I'm doing an awesome job at it. I don't really, I don't, I haven't really heard too many of people ever say that. It's kind of one of those things that we struggle with. Um, some people say that prayer doesn't come easy to me, um, which is not an unusual thing to hear. Or some people are just saying like, God doesn't listen to what I have to say. Um, so there's a lot of excuses of why people sometimes don't want to pray. They say, like, I know I should pray more, but I don't. Or I know that God's in control, so it doesn't matter really what I say since he's going to control and what's going to happen is what's going to happen. Or some people are like, well, I, I can't pray like so-and-so can pray. You, you ever have those people that can, like, super eloquently pray, pray and it just makes you feel like, wow, I really wish I could talk like that. And you kind of feel intimidated. And that shouldn't be a, an excuse to not pray. Um, so what I really want to try to do is to encourage you on what prayer looks like. And we're actually going to focus in on just one single passage. So for those of you that um, are all at home, if you have your Bibles, I really welcome you to open up your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 11, or if you have your phones to turn to there. I'm not going to be able to cover every single thing in John chapter 11, but there's a lot of really good truths there about um, Jesus and about truth and about prayer. So um, where John chapter 11, I'll just get right into it. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. What, it was Mary who was anointed with the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill, so the sisters sent to him. So let me translate that a little bit because it's a little wordy. But um, Mary and Martha, as you know, previously uh, anointed the Lord with ointment, and Mary put it on her hair, and... Um, Basically, they have a brother named Lazarus, and Lazarus is sick, and they're in the town of Bethany. Jesus is actually about 15 miles away in the town of Perea, and so they have a, a relationship with him, but Lazarus is really sick. So you're thinking, you know, the quality of, basically, he's in hospice care, so he has uh, days, if not hours, to live, and uh, they've tried 
treatments. It's kind of one of those things where they tried the essential oils and the chicken noodle soup. It didn't work. And so he is like in serious condition. And the only person that can really, that they know that can save is Jesus. And so they have a relationship with them and they're going to try and intervene on behalf of them to try and help him out. So basically they go to um, see Jesus and they come up with their idea for prayer. And they have one shot to make the request. And it's interesting to choose how they, repl- how they pray. So if you were in a similar circumstance where you have a relative or your parent or someone was like super sick and you wanted to pray, what would you end up doing and how you would end up praying? I think I would probably like list the, the resume of what that person has done, right? So in the case of Lazarus, I would say, you know, Lazarus, he's a faithful person. He tithed. He was involved with the local church. Maybe he even served on the parking lot committee and even served when it was raining. You know, basically trying to say, like, he's done all of these things, and therefore you should intervene or listen to him. And in fact, that's not, exact, that's not how they prayed. They actually prayed the opposite of it. And we see what, how they pray in verse 3. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Which is interesting. They, when, the, the main point of kind of this whole thing is when you appeal to God's heart, you can expect to see God's hand. Um, and it's kind of backwards from the way that we're used to praying. And this has actually kind of personally convicted me as I was studying for this. Is there's many times where I pray, and my prayer to him is not moved by love or dedication to God, but by his love for us. And so there's a difference. So a lot of times when we pray, we're praying to try and influence him. So we're trying to say, hey, God, you know, this is a good person, or I think you should do this, or something like that. If any case with it, it's actually the opposite of it is that we're moved by God's love. And God actually loves us, and he desires a relationship with us. So the motivation for us is there's nothing that we can do to earn the favor of God, but God loves us, and his love for us is there for us. So I really want you to hear this from the basis of it, is no matter what you've done, or if you feel guilty, or you feel that you aren't worthy, or that you feel that you've done things in the past that aren't worthy, God loves you, and regardless of anything that you do, and he desires a relationship with you. Just like if you have children, and your, your child comes to you and wants something that they need, they're hungry, they haven't eaten, and they need food, you're going to give them food, right? It's the same thing with the relationship with Jesus. He, he desires a relationship with you, and he desires to hear from you, and that's really what prayer is, is a communication with God. And and nothing that we can do can earn that sort of um, relationship with it. And, but yet he still desires it. And that's one of the beauties of prayer. So let's continue kind of on the reaction to what Jesus said. So now in verse 4, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. Her, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was at. So think about that. So here you have Jesus who has a relationship with Martha and Mary. And John points out in, in verse 5 that, that Jesus loved Martha and, and her sister and Lazarus. So this is different than yeah, God loves all of us, but God also in his, Jesus in his personal life actually had a physical relationship with them. He loved spending time with them. And John is pointing this out. So there was a special relationship that occurred there. And Jesus' response to them was like, I listened to you. And then, you know, they're basically saying, hey, he's on his deathbed. He needs help. And his response is, "Um, you'll live, but um, I'm going to stay here longer. And so think about this. If you're sitting there and you're Martha and Mary, you just basically came up with your best prayer that you could think of that followed the scriptures and what you feel are praying, how you should pray. 
And Jesus' response was, yes, I'm going to do something, but I'm going to stay here. <laughs> you would probably be like, um, he's going to die. Like, what's going on? But that's not how they reacted. Um, and, but I'm sure that they had to have some sort of frustrating with it. But that's one of the points of um, prayer and just overall with there is Jesus isn't concerned about time as much as he is concerned about timing. And he had a purpose for all this. And one of his purposes, which we'll find out later, is that he, did, he wanted us to know that this was truly an act of an, a miracle. So he didn't want this to be a resuscitation. He wanted it to be a resurrection because he had a larger emphasis in mind with there. So we'll, we'll go on to kind of um, verse 20. We'll skip along. So in verse 17, we find out that um, Lazarus ends up dying. And Jesus still sits around, and uh, he's still ministering, so he takes a couple days to get there. So it's not just one or two or three days dead. Lazarus is four days by the time he gets down to Bethany. So Lazarus is dead dead, like dead dead that you don't want to be near him um, close because of what happened. But um, they continue the discussion. So um, both Martha and Mary hear that Jesus is coming. And so starting in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met with him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my, bro- my brother wouldn't have died. So we're going to see an interesting uh, example here of two people. So you're going to have Martha and Mary. They're each going to have separate dialogues with Jesus, and they're each going to react differently. And it tells us a little bit more about prayer and, as well as just kind of Jesus and, and how he reacts. So first you see this response in verse 21, and it's an important one. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. How many times do we pray a similar prayer to this? Um, in English, you kind of have heard of these things called if-then statements, right? So if something, then something else, right? So if you had not done this, this would be happening. And how many times have we prayed like this to, to Jesus? Like, uh, think about some different ways to do that. Like, Lord, if you wouldn't have allowed me to lose my job, I wouldn't have lost my house. Or, Lord, if you had not intervened, maybe we, w- we wouldn't have miscarried. Or, Lord, if you hadn't answered my prayers, my husband wouldn't have left me. There's so many of these examples that are if-then statements. And what, what are we doing? We're kind of equating something that we've done or something a lack of something that Jesus has done for something that's happened in our lives that we don't like and that we want Jesus to intervene. And that's not really how Jesus wants us to pray. Um, and we'll see a better example of what better looks like in the next verse where Martha finally corrects herself. So verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now... I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And I really want you to focus in on, this, on verse 22, on the better way of responding. It says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So this is one of the big takeaways of this story, and it's something that actually has convicted me as I looked at this, because I don't always pray this way, and I really think that I need to, to change this. So look how Martha changed her prayer from verse 20 to 21 and 22. She changes it from an if-then to a but-even-now. But more importantly, this but-even-now is based on a kind of faith where she's recognizing what, what God has done for us and what he can do. So the phrase that Martha teaches us, but-even-now, speaks with faith despite circumstances. It's the kind of faith that relies on God's promises by appealing to God's heart using God's scripture, which therefore releases God's power and expects to see God's hand move in your life. So there's a, a confidence that's associated with this. There's a confidence you don't necessarily know if and how and when God's going to answer it, but you have confidence in what God's going to do and what Jesus will do because of what the Bible and Scripture tells us. 
and it's a big difference. So it's changing the situation from this example is like, I lost my job, but even more, I know that you're a provider and you'll take care of us. Or the diagnosis came back positive, and I don't know how I'm going to be healed, but I know that you can heal me if you choose. Or it says, my husband has ridiculed my faith for 10 years, but now I believe you can save him and make him new. Do you see the difference? One is a conditional thing where you're asking or telling God that he needs to do something. The other is a, a faith-based thing where you're saying, I realize you have the power to do this, and you are promised us that you can do certain things, and I'm promising that no matter what, that I will trust you and I have faith in you. So Jesus responds to her in verse 23, and he says, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on that last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So this is a, Martha understood scripture and she understood the resurrection and she understood that eventually Lazarus will rise from the dead and he'll have a new body. But Jesus was actually trying to point to her the fact that, hey, look, I am the resurrection. So I am physically here and I am here because, and because of what I'm doing, I'm resurrection. I'm res- I have re- resurrected and I am the one that's saving you. And it was a, l- a little bit lost on Martha that he was basically like, I have this power right now and I can do it. Um, so, but it also points out to the fact of this is like, there needs to be an act of faith. So and one of the things that we can struggle with sometimes is like, some of us can know the Bible inside and out. We can know all the truths, but if we don't believe it and put it into action through faith, it, the words really don't have meaning. Um, it's the same thing, for example, like if you need to, if you have an ailment, um, having book knowledge is only so good. You need to see a doctor. You need to see a physical person to run tests and to do diagnostics on you that has training in that particular art. If you get sued, you need to have a, an attorney, right? Someone that understands the law that can advocate on your behalf. The same thing is with God um, in, in going through the Bible is you can have the knowledge of it, but unless you have Jesus and you have belief in Jesus, um, that's what you actually need in order to be doing. And that's what Jesus was trying to point out to her. So now we'll continue so we saw Martha's response. Now we're going to see Mary's turn. So now, starting in verse 32. Now when Mary came to, to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. So it's interesting. She starts out with the same if-then statement that her, her um, sister did um, with it. But she goes down a different avenue, which we'll see there. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come to her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And as he said, where you have laid, where, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then he follows with one of the most comforting voices in the Bible. And also, if you want to memorize verses, one of the best verses to memorize, um, Jesus wept, 35. The easiest verse to memorize. But it's a very profound statement because it responds to, Jesus responds to Martha, Mary, differently than he did Martha. In each case, Jesus understands our heart, and he, wants to, he responds to us with the way that we need. In this case, he knew that Mary was hurting, and she was sad, and his response was he felt that pain. So even though Jesus was fully God, he was also fully human, and he understood those um, characteristics, and he felt the pain that Mary did. He was sad as well, and he was sad, and he felt that. And not only did he feel it, he responded in the same way. And why did he do that? He did that because he cares. And sometimes we think that God's this just a robotic person that doesn't necessarily have feelings or understands the situations that we are in. This is a prime example that not only God understood, he felt that same pain that existed. But the pain existed because God had a larger plan. 
And we'll see a little bit further with um, why that means. And it also shows us humanity. He was extremely human in his reaction to it. We are made in God's image. We are created in God's image. And even though through the sin of Adam, there's been a loss in some of that fellowship, we still are created in God's image. And we feel some of the same things that God feels. And to recognize that when we pray is not a bad thing to do. So verse 41, we see that how this whole thing responds. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe you and that you sent me. Then he had said these things. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the power of Jesus. He speaks and creation obeys. One Puritan wrote about this verse. If Jesus had not named Lazarus when he said, shouted, he would have emptied the entire ceremony, the entire cemetery. Sorry, that's a bad. Um, so look down at verse 41. You find Jesus praying exactly like we've been talking about. He appealed to God's heart, and then he expected to see God's hand. The sisters prayed like this. Jesus prayed like this. And God desires us to pray like this type of confidence and expectancy. In the Christian life, sometimes there's a tension to be managed through there, and a tension that I struggle with. The tension is between truth and facts. Truth and facts not, are sometimes not always the same thing. So here's a fact. Lazarus had died, and dead people don't come back to life normally. But here's the truth. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if we would understand this, because either you're going to live your life defined by what you go through or by who you belong to, so in this case, Jesus was applying the principles to there. So it may be fact that you feel alone and not good enough, but truth is that Christ, you have God who is your ever-present help in the time of need. A God who will never leave you, who will never forsake you, and a Jesus who stands by and wants to be your righteousness. So whatever your fact is right now, you can always appeal to God's heart by praying biblical truth. That's what's found in the Bible. That's why we have the Bible and when you, when you do that, you can wait expectantly because it's biblical truth that connects God's with his past promises and things that he's done with your present situation and then your future. And that's what this passage is really about. So what's the conclusion of this story? So three words. So three words from Jesus and a dead man is brought back to life. Three words and a miracle occurs. Three words and history is changed forever. But don't forget these three words were spoken in response to seven words of, of faith that appealed to Jesus' heart. Lord, he who you love is ill. Mary and Martha believed that prayer, that and the prayer would move Jesus, and their appeal to Jesus was for their love for Lazarus. And Jesus responded because he loved and he wanted to show his heart. Do you have that kind of confidence in God's love for you? You should because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In, in spite of our actions at the cross, Jesus bared it all. He bared it all because he loves us, meaning you don't ever have to, to question his love for you again, nor is there anything that you can do through your physical acts or things that you're doing here on earth to deserve of this. Listen to me. History was changed when Lazarus, with these three words, Lazarus, come out. History can change for you today with these three words because God loves you. If you don't have a personal relationship with God, and you have questions, please reach out to someone from the church to have a discussion about this perfect love that exists. For those of you that do have a relationship, my hope to you is that you'll take this information on how to pray better to change your prayer life. 
a life focused on the relationship with God and his promises instead of a, a function of more if-then statements of, of but now in faith is really where we should and how we should pray. A prayer life is focused on God and love and praying are the things that the scripture says will happen and his truths that he makes evident to us will come through that. Please let us pray. Dear Father, um, I just thank you so much for sending your son to die on the cross for us. My prayer and hope is that everyone watching today has this knowledge of you and what you have done for them. If they don't, I pray that you will intervene and allow them to take those next steps of faith of following you. For those of us that do have a relationship, my prayer is that we will recognize the power of prayer and use it for our lives, that we will use your words and your promises in our prayers, and you will reward our steps of faith for your glory and kingdom. Amen.